This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in-depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in-depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. This is the Mark Madden Unfiltered Podcast from the Bet Rivers Network. The big story in the world this week, actually in the universe this week, is that NASA has figured out a way to fly an object into an asteroid. That's right, NASA actually flew something the size of a vending machine into an asteroid Somewhat of a test to see if, if need be, if NASA could successfully blow up or at least redirect an asteroid from hitting the Earth. Essentially, they're recreating the movie Armageddon without Bruce Willis, without Liv Tyler, or bastardized music by Aerosmith. In other words, NASA has literally figured out a way to prevent the sky from falling. That's great. Now get NASA to address the Pittsburgh Steelers because the sky is definitely falling on all of us here in Pittsburgh. And head coach Mike Tomlin, all he's doing is saying, don't look up. I'm Tim Benson for Mark Madden on Madden Unfiltered on the Bet Rivers Network with shirtless Tom, Tom Offerman. And here's a quote from Mike Tomlin Tuesday about the state of the Steelers offense. The best way to sum up my evaluation, whether it's the collective unit or components of the unit, we're getting better with every outing. It's reasonable to expect those improvements to continue. We haven't done enough to win the past two games, so there's reason for alarm as it pertains to that, but largely I've seen improvements in all areas. Now that might have been true if the Steelers and Browns ended at halftime, but it didn't. The Steelers' offense was one of nine on third downs. The Steelers' offense only put up 17 points in a team the Jets dissected in the second half the week before. The Steelers' offense had three straight three and outs in the second half against the Browns, and the Steelers are last in time of possession in the NFL and 31st in total yards. If that's improving, I can't imagine what Tomlin was thinking after the Patriots game or after the Bengals game. Of Mitch Trubisky, Tomlin said that he's seen improvement in all areas, be it decision-making, where he's going with the ball, the time in which he's making decisions, as he says, the prudent use of mobility, whether by schematics or by ad lib. Frankly, I'm not seeing Trubisky run nearly enough for my taste. And if Trubisky is going to the right places enough, then those aren't the right places that he's looking often enough. And ladies and gentlemen, Let's cue I don't want to miss a thing because this is the asteroid field that the Steelers are trying to navigate when you look at their schedule coming up and they're trying to do it with an offense that isn't NFL ready. 
Now, I'm sure just about every one of you heard those quotes from Tomlin and immediately viscerally disagreed. Because if that's what constitutes improved offense, the Steelers are going to be two and six after eight games. And that's only if they beat the Jets on Sunday. That might be true if they start playing well on offense, given the schedule that they're about to face. And by the way, I'm not guaranteeing that they beat the Jets on Sunday. Now, a couple other things that Tomlin said during his press conference on Tuesday. He talked about he was questioned about making changes with Trubisky, with Matt Canada, the play caller, the offensive coordinator. He was questioned as to why he was being so decisive after the Browns game, definitive, to use his words, in avoiding making those changes. And he used words like resolve. They didn't want to blow in the wind. He went to his don't blink. He didn't say cut off the eyelids this time, but he went to his don't blink card. He says, we want to believe in what we do. Smile in the face of adversity. So here's what I thought about what Tomlin was saying. I thought initially he was just being stubborn, but I bet he thinks he's being stable and steady. I bet he thinks that scrapping plans to go with a free agent signing quarterback after just three games would look wishy-washy and spineless and like he's caving to fans and media on Twitter. I bet after three games, he thinks scrapping the offensive coordinator would come off as panic and creating chaos. After all, who are you going to get? Is Bruce Arians coming back? Is Todd Haley coming back? See, I think Tomlin is trying to do frankly, what a lot of people who backed the Mitch Trubisky signing in the first place should be doing, and that's still standing by the signing, but Kenny Pickett is the wild card here. You know, Tomlin so far has yet to snap or really challenge back at the media or bite back when he's being questioned. I think he might be on the brink, but he really shouldn't because he and Omar Khan and Kevin Colbert, even Art Rooney II, if you want to throw him in, they created this dynamic. They knew what they were doing. They, along with Colbert, extended Mason Rudolph's contract through 2022 before 2021 even began. They signed Trubisky in free agency a month before a draft featuring numerous college quarterbacks that they had been scouting. Why? Because they obviously weren't comfortable going into 2022 with Rudolph as the most likely starter if one of those quarterbacks didn't become available at pick 20. But when all of them were still on the board in the first round, they still drafted the pick kid, even though Rudolph and Trubisky were now on the depth chart. They knew what they were getting into. They also took Pickett knowing that the added dynamic of him being from Pitt was going to charge the external debate even more than what would normally be the case if the team drafted a first-round quarterback. Not to mention retaining Canada despite last year when they were 23rd in offense and only put up 20.2 points per game. So yes, Tomlin better continue to be patient with the fan speculation and media inquiries about when Pickett may take over for Trubisky especially when the Steelers' offense has only cobbled together four offensive touchdowns in three games, especially since Pickett is 24 and his maturity and seasoning and ability to play quickly were part of what drew the Steelers to drafting him. At least that's what Colbert and Tomlin explained after the draft. I mean, in theory, I get where Tomlin is coming from. In theory, three weeks isn't enough time to reach a verdict on a reconfigured offense and a new quarterback running it. In theory, 
the Steelers fan base should still be buying into all the reasons why they were supporting Trubisky in March. Because back in March, in that short span of time between when Trubisky was signed and Pickett was drafted, I know what I heard from a lot of Steelers fans. Good signing, not too expensive, young quarterback, still tons of upside, was number two overall in the draft, is mobile, can move around in Matt Canada's offense. Those dumb bears, they just screwed him up. If that's what your thinking was, it's awful fast to pull the plug on that experiment, and you wouldn't be saying that if Mason Rudolph was still the only other option. Now, he isn't, and this is what I talked about with the dynamic being created by the Steelers' brass by bringing Kenny Pickett into the equation. You bring in a number one pick, you bring in that number one pick who's old enough and polished enough to start, you're going to get this blowback on a scale of 1 to 10 at a 20 when you factor in that he's also from Pitt as well. So we'll bring in shirtless Tom. Tom, what do you think about what Tomlin's saying? Is he being stable? Is he being steady? Or is he being stubborn? I think he's being a little stubborn, to be honest with you, Tim. I think Kenny Pickett might not be the answer that this team needs, because I don't know if there is an answer, especially at that quarterback position. I don't think he's going to come in and all of a sudden start walk on, walking on water and putting up 30 points per game, but you're getting nothing out of Mitch in the first three games. And I, I guess maybe I could see it as you keep the stability for this one game against the Jets at least, because they're an inferior opponent, at least you think so on paper, and Vegas thinks so as well. I think, what, the Steelers are a three-and-a-half-point favorite right now up at Rivers, so only game they've been favored in so far this year. Maybe you use this as a last-chance saloon for Mitch and say, if you can't get the offense cooking at all against the Jets, you're not going to get the offense cooking at all the entire season. But if you do it that way, Tim, and he fails against New York, and say they win the game like 13-10 to and the offense struggles, or, God forbid, say they lose that game to the Jets— all of a sudden, you have to wait four weeks until there's an easy, quote-unquote, entrance point for Kenny now. Because, yes. like, like you've mapped out so much, Tim, this was the first spot that you could circle on the calendar and say, here's where you can pull the Kenny Pickett parachute, and it'd be kind of an easy landing on Kenny's knees when he hits the ground. Whereas, if he blows it, speaking of Mitch here, against the Jets, they lose or they struggle to a win— you really want to put Kenny in in Buffalo for his first game? I don't think so. That's a good point, and that's where I was going next because you could have said that the best time to start Kenny Pickett is game one. He's 24. <laughs> right. He's got 52 starts under his belt, or 52 appearances, I should say, under his belt at Pitt. He's a Heisman Trophy runner-up. Just start him right out of the shoots in game one, but – if you were going to start Trubisky and it didn't look good and it hasn't looked good, I think he's got a passer rating of 77.7, which is like 28th in the National Football League. You can go back to Trubisky if you have to on the road in Buffalo in surroundings where at least he's familiar uh, and, and a team that he's familiar with to play against. But after that, see, like I had put these sort of tent poles out there as to where I thought, as you mentioned, it would make sense to put Kenny Pickett in. Game one was number one. The Jets for week number four, that was the second place. After that, I thought maybe you put him in following week six when they get through the Jets, the Bills, and the Bucks. Unfortunately, though, all of a sudden, <laughs> right. those next two games are Philadelphia 
and the Dolphins in back-to-back weeks on the road, and they're the last two undefeated teams in football. Those two teams might drive more fear in your heart than the Buccaneers right now. Yeah, but the thing with the Bucs is, on the one hand, you could argue if you just keep it close, you might be able to win because their offense is so bad. But, <laughs> but if the Steelers are struggling to score against the Browns, look at the Bucks' defense. And the Bucks' defense is playing really well. What are they going to do against them? So, you know, they might have already painted themselves into a corner where if they're trying to put Kenny Pickett into the best position possible, they might have to wait until after the bye when they play the Saints at home and they have a full week. Then again, if he's only 24 and polished and worthy of being the Heisman Trophy runner-up, can't he handle a situation that's less than perfect to put him in? You know, like if, if you're counting on him to be your starting quarterback for the next decade, maybe he just has to take his lumps and uh, fight through what won't be perfect circumstances based on the opponent for his first start. Yeah, and I don't. He doesn't strike me, and maybe you agree with this, as the kind of guy that if he had a tough start to his career, that would completely derail his confidence, and he'd be a shell of himself moving forward, and all of his potential will just go by the wayside because he got beat up his rookie year. I think he. Well, you know this. He went to Pitt. He knows what disappointment's about. He knows all about disappointment. He knows even in his most <laughs> glorious season, Tim, he fell to Western Michigan. So he knows right. all about. He's all too familiar with that. So I, I think he's made of tougher stuff, and that's not going to bother him. Here's an interesting angle to the putting in Kenny Pickett, taking out Mitch Trubisky debate that doesn't really have anything to do with the team tangibly winning, but it's just something that I'd be curious in. If you put Pickett in and the offense continued to look the same where they're not using the middle of the field, they're not throwing the ball down the field, you know, 10, 15, 20 yards at a time, wouldn't that kind of give you the... You know, it would shine the spotlight on what the real problem is with the offense, and it would be the offensive coordinator. Because, like you said, I've seen the guy at Pitt for a while. Pickett uses the middle of the field a lot. He likes to go deep and take chances. You'd kind of be able to get some clearance on the chicken or egg situation. And again, it might not yield anything as far as actual results on the field, but it would just be comforting for me to know, hey, it's Canada that's coaching them to not use the middle of the field and to keep things towards the sideline. Or this is just Mitch Mitch's tendency is to not use the middle of the field. Now, that said, I still think Tomlin is more inclined to make a change at quarterback than he is coordinator, don't you? Well, I think that's just the easier thing to do, right? As weird as that right, sounds, like you, you can't put in an entirely new offense. Not only that, but you drafted the backup quarterback to be a number one eventually. There's no play caller waiting in the wings. I mean, like they'll probably right. use Mike Sullivan in that capacity simply because he's done it before and at. But, I mean, it's not like they're grand thinking to have him take over to be the offensive coordinator like maybe Terrell Austin had been sitting and waiting in the wings for Keith Butler to retire. Like, that's that's not the progression here. Yeah, no. So, I, I don't think there's going to be an OC change, at least this season. Uh, it would have to be very drastic. It would have to take – it would take the Kenny Pickett move to be made and then to still see the same results with the offense, the same vanilla boring offense into week 14, 15 for maybe Matt Canada to be fired. But he's not going to be fired until the, the last third of the season at the very earliest. I don't see any knee-jerk reaction, although you could argue it wouldn't be knee-jerk reaction from Tomlin right now. But he, I think, in his brain would think that. And, you know, he's been around the block a few times as this head coach. I'm sure he's thinking, I can't – fire an yeah, offensive that's, that's coordinator I mean about three him. games into the season. Yeah, exactly. That's where I think he comes in is thinking that he is being stable and steady. Um, and, and 
he's not at the point where he's being stubborn yet. Now you brought up the point spread. I'm looking at Bet Rivers right now. It's minus three. I think the Steelers cover, despite all this being said. I don't think the Jets are good. Uh, I think that collapse was as much about the Browns uh, quaking and letting themselves fall apart as it was anything else for as good of a deep ball thrower as Joe Flacco is. You could have had, uh, I I don't know, an eighth grader in a flag football game throw that (laughs) deep touchdown pass to get them back into it. The coverage was so bad for the Browns. They botched an onside kick. They basically defied math in that comeback. They're going to go to Zach Wilson, by all accounts, to be the starting quarterback. He's going to be rusty. I don't think he's all that good to be to begin with. I think, frankly, as the number two overall pick, he's almost a carbon copy of what Trubisky is. Very athletic and throw on the move, maybe has a better arm, but I just don't see him right now as being capable of being a winning quarterback in the National Football League. Their left tackle situation is a mess. Anytime Wilson drops back to throw, I would think – that Alex Highsmith and Cam Hayward could make mincemeat of the left side of that Jets offensive line. I'm sure the Jets will try to pound out the ground game and try to exploit the Steelers like the Browns did. I don't think they're as good at it as the Browns are, however. So I think the Steelers win. I've got it as 22 to 13. So that means I'm going under 41 and a half as well. Uh, That's the neighborhood where I see this game in. How about you? I think the Steelers are going to win and cover the spread. I don't have them getting to 20, though. I think it'll be more like a 16 to 6, something really just disgusting like that. Defensive struggle. See, I do think there's going to be another defensive turnover for a touchdown or a really short field and a bad Zach Wilson mistake that makes it easier for them to, to get an extra touchdown or two. Well, let me ask you this. Would you rather play Zach Wilson than Joe Flacco? Because I think I would. And that sounds weird. If you're the to Steelers, say yes. Yeah. I, I w- no, no, no. I definitely would rather see, especially under the circumstances with this being his first game back. Right. Um, now, if he had a game or two under his belt, maybe I'd say something different. But I know what Joe Flacco looks like when he's on. He's won games at Heinz Field before when it was still Heinz Field. Right. So I, I look at him and say, there's a commodity there where even though he's a statue and he doesn't move, he was a statue and he didn't move when he was hitting <laughs> Torrey Smith and TJ Hushmanzada for huge touchdowns in the fourth quarter to beat the Steelers in their home stadium before. So like that concerns me more than Zach Wilson coming back off of IR in his first game. I, I think there's going to be a rust factor there. I think the Steelers are going to have a easier time exploiting that. I, I think you, your point about the Steelers being able to get a lot of pressure on Zach Wilson, too, that, that's going to come to fruition in this game. They passed the ball, the Jets, 74% of their offensive snaps so far this year. Only the Raiders are in the 70 percentile when it comes to that as well. Uh, they're a way too pass-happy team uh, for Joe Flacco being their starting quarterback and investing a top pick in Brees Hall, the running back, last year. Yeah, they it's, got two good running backs. I know. They still love to pass the ball for whatever reason. And I think that's, like you said, the left tackle being just a train wreck for them. It should be a big day for Highsmith. But Highsmith's actually stepped up in the wake of TJ being out. I know he didn't do that great against the Patriots, but he had a good game against the Browns, and he leads the league in sacks right now. It's the other guys that haven't really been showing up. I mean, Cam, I hate to point him out because he's phenomenal, but he's been a little quiet in the pass rush department. You thought he would step up. And Malik Reed's just basically been invisible. I mean, you haven't got anything from him. No, he's just too small to play that position. The Steelers 3-4, and they're going to Montrevis Adams as the nose tackle. They're benching 
Tyson Alualu. So they're benching the guy who was supposed to be part of the reason why the rush defense was better for a guy who played on the bad rush defense unit a lot last year. So how does that make you feel? Doesn't that just seem like a move to make a move? You know, just to maybe if if people are kind of wise to what you were saying at the beginning of this show, Tomlin does this to kind of, you know, throw the scent into a different direction to say, oh, I'm not being stubborn. I'm not being rigid at all. Look at what I did with my nose tackle. I decided to make a move and bench Tyson Alualu, an established player for Montrevious Adams. It don't, I don't think it's going to yield any real results, and especially this week with the Jets really not running the ball that much if they continue to their trend that they have all, all throughout the year because they're going to pass the ball a lot on the Steelers' defense, and the big problem with Alu-Alu was helping in the run-stopping game. All right, we mentioned Pitt before. They're playing Georgia Tech, right, on Friday? Yeah, about 22-point favorite at Bet Rivers, I think. It's moving like crazy, 20. though. They opened in the 30s, I think. Why is it moving so much? Because of the coach being fired? I guess because the coach being fired. Well, it's moving down. People aren't, I guess, trusting Pitt to win by more than 30, and I think I am right there with them. Pitt doesn't necessarily... <laughs> Pitt doesn't necessarily blow teams out, Tim. I mean, they no, don't win they by don't. two or three touchdowns, and that's a blowout for Pitt. Like, 45-21 to 21 against Rhode Island last week, that might have surprised people. Not me at all. That's a, that's a Pitt blowout. Rare are the, like, 73-7 to seven games where Pitt just completely puts a team into the dirt. So, I think maybe, you know, that line comes out at 30. Everybody who's wise to that is like, no way they can score or they can put up 30 more points than any team. I'll take Georgia Tech. A lot of people came in early on Tech, so they readjusted it to about three touchdowns for Pitt. Are you like me in the sense that you're finding it a little bit hard to do a lot of forecasting and ramp up to the Penguin season because they are who they are again, much like they were at the end of last season and the last four seasons? Like, There's no speculation to be had here. There's no mining for details to be had here. This just strikes me as wake me up at the end of March and then we'll figure out where they are in the playoff bracket and they'll probably be in one of the top three spots in the metro because that's where they always end up yeah it's going to be the same old song and dance we're kind of just killing time in the regular season until we get to the playoffs and see if they can actually get over that hump and win a playoff game i guess the only angles you could look at in the training camp and preseason to get somewhat excited about is it is a new looked blue line i mean petrie and rudda uh, they've been playing ty smith i think ty smith played a lot last night in the preseason game so it's exciting to have those new pieces. It's not going to be the exact same thing on the blue line. The top six, we know exactly what they're going to look like. The bottom six worries you. I'd say blue line is one angle that I'm looking at and get a little excited about. And the other is, is Sullivan going to go towards youth for his bottom six? Or is he going to do what he has been doing for the past few years and just go veteran heavy presence and the team gets slow and bogged down? Finally, Tom, are you like me? You don't trust this NASA thing at all, that they're doing this because they know there's an asteroid that's about to hit us and they're just trying to make us feel better so we sit back and wait calmly for our imminent demise? Like, we have a plan, people. Don't worry. It's all going to be okay. It'll be like Kevin Bacon at Animal House. All is well. Don't worry. Yeah, I agree. I just don't understand how it's supposed to work. Something the size of a vending machine is supposed to knock off course an asteroid that's a couple billion pounds dense. How the hell is that supposed to work? Well, I think physics works a little different in space, Tim. I'm not an I'm not an astrophysicist, but I think you can, you know, push things that are a little bit heavier, a little bit of a further distance out there in the vacuum. Well, Montrevis Adams should try that then. <laughs> 
I am a little same concept. I'm a little encouraged that the Earth's starting to play defense, though. For a while there, it just seems like we had no sense of playing defense whatsoever, and now at least we have something that we can pretend is going to work when the Texas size well, meteor yeah, crashes into thing, Earth like, and explodes. Know, you know, I hear that, but here's where I get concerned. All right, because like we're finding out that these messages, these images that are coming back from the asteroid actually happened, what, weeks ago, right? Yes. Like they've been tracking the camera, the camera sees the asteroid, the asteroid impact occurs, and they just got this information after a couple weeks. So like what happens on Earth in the (laughs) interim seven to 10 days when we know that the thing has been shot at the asteroid and we don't know if it works because we're also not going to know for apparently like years if the asteroid was bumped off course or not. So like, is it just Sodom and Gomorrah down here? So we get the, is that how it works? We have to wait seven to 10 days or years in between knowing that the thing was shot at the asteroid that's going to kill us as to whether or not it worked. Like what's going to happen to the stock market? During that time, it's going to be chaos. See, this is why they had it right in Armageddon, and they should just go up to the asteroid land and put a nuke in it. That's yes. way more poetic. Yes. That's that's how you definitely make sure that nothing gets through the cracks there. A vending machine hitting it off course, so many things can go wrong. Exploding a nuke within the asteroid, that's money every time. I just think it means we all get to have sex with Liv Tyler. Okay, uh, that'll do it for this week's <laughs> edition of the Madden Unfiltered podcast. Glad that you're with us. Mark will be back next week. Uh, Tom and I will also do, what's he calling it, Tom? Mark Madden's Gambling Circus or something it's like that? Madden Money. Gambling Fever? It's Madden Money Bets, but he's got Gambling Fever. Madden Money Bets. Madden Money Bets Gambling Fever. We'll do that tomorrow. I'll learn the title between now and then. <laughs> Until then, have a good one. This is the Bet Rivers Network. I'm Tim Benz with Shirtless Tom. Catch new episodes of Mark Madden Unfiltered every week. Available on the Bet Rivers Network. BetRivers.com and wherever you find your podcasts.